you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Kathy Wood, live and on the record in a CNBC exclusive. Her stocks, her performance her response to the critics. We'll cover it all today. The investment committee here with me as well. They'll join the conversation in just a few minutes. With me, Bryn Talkington, Brenda Vangelo, Jim Labenthal, Josh Brown, and John Najarian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's first check the markets. 12 noon in the East. Stocks, as Carl just said, a bit off their lows. Dow is still down by more than 400 points. S&P down by more than 1%. It's a loss of near 54. NASDAQ under pressure by more than 200 points. That's a loss of 1.5%. Ukraine, Russia headlines obviously dictating sentiment at this point. A little flight to safety. Yields coming down just a touch. 197 is where we are on the 10-year. Let's get right to our headliner today. ARK Invest's Kathy Wood might be the most influential investor of the past few years. She was one of the most successful, too, until the past six months, when many of the stocks she's most identified with plummeted to new lows. That upset has caused a barrage of criticism of her stock-picking prowess, her research, and record. Here now in a CNBC exclusive is Kathy Wood. She's the CEO and CIO of ARK Invest. It's nice to see you. Welcome back. Thank you, Scott. Happy to be here. Thank it's, you. For it really me. is. It really is astounding, um, Kathy. When when we sit here and have this conversation today, one hundred percent of the stocks in the innovation ETF are in a bear market. Eighty seven percent. Eighty seven percent are down more than forty percent from the highs. Those are incredible pullbacks. We have you for an extended period of time today, and you can speak directly to a lot of investors in this interview. What do you tell them? How do you convince them to stay with you? Well, first of all, I'd much prefer to be uh, with you and um, holding our clients' hands and explaining what we think is going on uh, at this point in time rather than at the highs. And I I think uh, our biggest concern is that our investors turn what we believe are temporary losses into permanent losses. Now, uh, what's interesting from a flow point of view, just before we get to the answer to your question, Last year, we did inflow. A lot of that was front-end loaded. It was $17 billion. Uh, And in the last 30 days, uh, we are inflowing again, net inflowing uh, a little less than a half a billion dollars. Uh, So what we believe is happening is because we give our research away, uh, because we are so transparent about what we're doing, and because our research is so good, I think it is the best in the financial world when it comes to disruptive innovation. I believe that there are individuals who are reading our research and saying, hey, this makes a lot of sense. Uh, I didn't know this. I did not know that there are, you know, five platforms involved being 14 different technologies uh, that if we're right, are going to move from being valued in the equity markets, public equity markets, at $10 trillion, 
to roughly $210 trillion within the next eight years. That's a 46 uh, percent compound annual rate of return. There is one market that is getting this right. It's the private market. Last year, and you're right, we have had a significant decline. If you look at the, if you look at our peak, which was February 12th of last year, so roughly a year ago, we uh, and you look to the trough, which we believe was January 27th, uh, that was a 57 percent drop. Uh, but if you looked at our uh, appreciation from the depths of the coronavirus to February 12th, that was a 358% increase. Uh, and so we're seeing a lot of analysis of our performance out there, which uh, is cherry picking, uh, you know, dates. And I've just given to you what has happened. Uh, and there's an endpoint sensitivity to these uh, dates. If you look at our returns on a five-year rolling basis, and what I mean by that is take monthly returns and do five-year rolling averages, we have outperformed both the S&P and the NASDAQ 100% of the time. If you take the same on a two-year basis, I have those numbers here, uh, we have outperformed uh, the S&P 590% of the time, and uh, NASDAQ 81% of the time. We've just been through a, a, a significant downturn, a correction relative to the peak. And we do believe that uh, innovation is in bargain basement territory. And there's just one other thing I'd like to add here. I, I went through the tech and telecom bubble uh, and uh, know very well what that feels like. And what we, we learned was that there was way too much capital chasing too few opportunities too soon. And the internet was, you know, had been brought to life and the dreams that investors had and the valuations based on potential eyeballs maybe 10 years out uh, caused investors to fall all over themselves to try and uh, raise their technology positions to north of their benchmark, and the benchmark had gone to 35%. Uh, that was a mistake too soon. The technologies were not ready. The costs of those technologies were prohibitively high. Cisco, Oracle, the traditional players back then were not going to bring us into the cloud and artificial intelligence age. They're completely different companies. And even today, I look at the S&P 500's 28% in technology, uh, we do not own one of those technology stocks. Those are either mature technology stocks. In the case of Microsoft, they've done a wonderful job migrating towards the new world. Um, but our technology stocks are way undervalued relative to their potential, whereas we do not believe Microsoft is. And I'll just add one last thing. Today, we have investors doing the opposite of what they did during the late 90s. They are running for the hills. It's risk off because of inflation, interest rates, and the hills are their benchmarks. So they're running to the past. And if we're right, and the disruptive innovation that is evolving is going to disintermediate, disrupt the traditional world order, those benchmarks are where the risk is. Not, not our portfolios. So there, there, there's obviously a lot in, in the answer that you just gave me. And 
your long-term track record obviously speaks for itself. And in many respects, you are who you are because of the kinds of performance numbers that you just read to me and our, and our viewers. However, for many, it is the here and now that, that matters most. And some of the arguments that you've made to defend the moves that you've made in the market have been criticized. I read to you December 17th of 2021, innovation stocks are not in a bubble, you claimed. Do you still stand by that? And if so, how? Absolutely, we stand by that. Um, uh, as I just mentioned, you've got investors running back to their benchmarks. Our stocks are not in benchmarks. So in a risk-off period, that is going to happen. Uh, we believe our portfolios are extremely undervalued. You have to have a five-year investment time horizon. And if an investor is looking for uh, returns over the next quarter, the next two quarters, you know, we can't promise them. Nobody can promise them. That's a, a macro call these days. However, if you give us five years, I, I, I will tell you, we are running a deep value portfolio. And I've even had this confirmed. One of our largest clients, uh, our, our largest institutional clients, uh, actually called me and said, you know what? Uh, I'm a value guy. Uh, and he, he heads up the equity division of, of this uh, state pension plan. He said, I'm an equity guy, uh, but I'm, I'm value oriented. He has other people following, uh, allocating to the growth side. Uh, but he called me and he said, you know what? I'm investing in some of your stocks because uh, I believe that uh, you are right on, on the transformational technology here. And I love it when I see uh, investors running away all with the same story and so for the same reason. Just because these stocks that you invest in have this transformational technology, Kathy, that doesn't justify valuations that are through the roof based on growth well, projections that are so far down the road. And this seems to be the textbook definition of a bubble. When you yeah. see a Robinhood down 84% from its high, Block 62, Teladoc 75, Twilio 59, Roblox 62. I mean, I could go on and on and on down the list. Yeah. How is that not a bubble? Uh, well, I will, I will tell you that... Uh, Again, we've got a very short-term time horizon in the market, shortened even more by fear, macro fears. And uh, we have always said that we want our companies to invest aggressively now in order to capitalize on some of the most amazing growth opportunities we will ever see in our lifetimes. And so our, our uh, companies do have a high valuation uh, especially because some of them, especially in the uh, genomic space, are loss making right now. Uh, but uh, they are aggressive. Uh, they are investing aggressively because in the genomic space, we have companies that are going to cure disease, and it's already happening. Uh, when you're talking about CRISPR gene editing, so we are always going to have a high valuation in the short term because our companies are doing the right thing. They're not trying to manufacture earnings like a lot of other companies out there who are buying back their shares so they can boost their earnings per share. Our companies are investing aggressively now because they see enormous opportunities, whether it's in the genomic space, the robotic space, energy storage, artificial intelligence, blockchain technology, and when you think about artificial intelligence, I think for us, and all we do is focus on innovation, the biggest surprise to us in the last three years 
are uh, is the amazing set of breakthroughs in artificial intelligence. We've got AI costs. Uh, well, we've got AI moving more than twice as fast as Moore's law. Costs dropping sixty percent per year if you use if you. Uh, if you account for both the hardware and the software, uh, when you get the cost of something dropping that much uh, and to levels that are much more accessible and affordable, uh, you're going to have an explosion in creativity. And that's what's happening. What has happened to our world, our traditional financial world, is intense risk aversion caused by, first, the tech and telecom bust in the early 2000s, and then even more so after 08, 09. And what does risk aversion mean in the traditional world? Risk aversion means get close to your benchmark, benchmark sensitivity. So we have, I think, one of the most massive massive misallocations of capital in the history of mankind. You have investors investing in the past. Benchmarks are where they are, and especially the largest companies and stocks in the benchmarks are where they are because of past successes. If we're right, those are the companies that are going to be disrupted. And you can see, if you look at large cap growth portfolios or large cap any portfolios practically, you'll see many of the same stocks. But in growth, you'll see the FANGs, you'll see Microsoft, you'll see NVIDIA. You'll see NVIDIA, you'll see Tesla because sure. it was put in the, in the benchmark right. finally. Why the such, only one we overlap with is Tesla. Why, why such a reticence, though, to concede that some of these stocks that have suffered dramatic declines will never come back to the level at which they, they once were? You, you won't concede well, we, that? You think all of these stocks that I read on that list, plus others that are down by significant amounts as well, are really going to come back to the prior levels they were? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and beyond uh, you'll notice what we do during uh, during risk off periods, uh, and this one has been particularly long, uh, one year, uh, which has taken our stocks into bargain basement pricing. I'll say again, but the the names you read have migrated into our top ten because we have concentrated our uh, holdings towards our highest conviction names, uh, and most of the names you read are in uh, our our top ten. I think many of them are platform companies. Many of them are going to harness artificial intelligence in a way that others cannot. I mean, Tesla has been the best case in point. And I think we have a lot of Teslas, Tesla-like stocks in our portfolio. We're really looking for companies that are going to use artificial intelligence and create competitive advantages that no one will be able to, uh, will be able to catch. I think one of the criticisms is that you refuse to concede the fact that maybe the environment is different than it was when these stocks were surging. Some of the names I read certainly included in that. Maybe Roblox you want to put in there. Maybe that uh, is a pandemic play. Teladoc, Zoom, some of the names like that. How can we believe that what is a post-pandemic environment is not going to be different, certainly for the growth trajectory of many of the stocks that we just talked about. So uh, if you look at uh, what happened during COVID, um, innovation solves problems. We had a lot of problems. And uh, these stocks did exceedingly well because they, they were helping to solve problems. 
But that but what happened was the shift towards the innovative platforms around which we base all of our research actually accelerated uh, by th- some people would say three to four years. So what we expected to happen in the future happened earlier because what normally holds innovation back or can hold it back is inertia. But when uh, consumers and businesses are scared, they will embrace these new technologies faster. That's what happened. We are not going back uh, to the old ways of doing things because with innovation, you have better, cheaper, faster, more productive, more creative for new products and services. Why would we go back? And uh, just to take the most extreme example here, Zoom. Uh, Zoom in the fourth quarter of 2020 uh, <clears throat> had revenue growth of 368%. Now, that's huge. Uh, if, if you told me uh, any company had that and, and would I expect a correction the next year, I'd say, yeah, probably a, a decline uh, as we get back to um, normal or get back into some sort form of normalcy. Uh, uh, because not everybody is going to be using Zoom in the new world, perhaps. And then just rethinking it, wait a minute, they're going to show an increase versus that 368% in this quarter. We don't know how big the increase is, but it's probably going to be the lowest point in their growth for the next few years. Because simply because of this comp, uh, the comparison issue, uh, we see a lot of analysts out there just, you know, their analysis is all around comps. Uh, our analysis is around transformational technology and how it's going to scale and why it's going to scale. And in Zoom's case, okay, we'll get over the tough comp issue. Uh, we'll go down to 185% uh, revenue growth in, in, in the next quarter as a comparison. And that will probably mean they, they accelerate their growth rate. Well, uh, and why it, is this happening? I just want to go to something very fundamental. Please. Many people said Zoom. Zoom. Of course we used it during the coronavirus. We, ha- we had to be home. We had to figure out a, a way to communicate with our colleagues and friends and so forth. Zoom was that. Um, but what they don't understand is we are now in the first rip and replace cycle since the early 90s when the Internet was evolving. In the um, communications, the enterprise communications space, enterprise communications is the largest part of the, the enterprise technology stack. It accounts for $1.5 billion dollars in revenues around the world. And uh, we believe that Microsoft and Zoom are in the process of helping companies and individuals transform their lives and rearrange the communication stack, this time in the cloud. There, there, uh, now, there, there is no yes. doubt um, that what you say about the transformational value of these companies could very well be true, and it's almost impossible to argue with that. It all really, though, comes down to the price we're willing to pay for the kind of innovation and transformation that you're talking about, specifically in a new Fed regime when interest rates are going to be higher, potentially much higher than where they are now, and an unwillingness to pay for that kind of growth in this environment 
versus the one where you enjoyed such spectacular gains? Well, our portfolios are down 57%, and, and they were falling at a time when the market was rising to all-time highs. The disconnect there is if you really believe there was an inflation and interest rate problem, why didn't the entire market go, go down? Now we're seeing the market come down uh, to, to uh, adjusting to this new reality. Uh, and uh, I, I also think that, uh, again, this conversation with this value um, investor uh, taught me a lot. As he has examined history, uh, the companies that are going to be hurt most by uh, inflation and interest rates, if they are indeed going to remain a problem, and we have our doubts there, but uh, the companies that will be hurt the worst are those that are, I'd call in the mature growth category, whose, whose PE ratios, and I would put the fangs in, in this category, and Meta uh, has been a, a great case in point because it's disappointing and it's been, it's been torn apart because people are saying, oh, this is not safety after all. Uh, it's the names in the mature growth categories that tend to be hit. If you, if we, if we're right, and the growth rate in our portfolios is closing in on 50 percent at a, an annualized rate over the next five years, and I'm talking about revenue growth opportunities, um, the the interest rates and inflation uh, will will are not going to be a. a a problem for that kind of stock. First of all, nobody believes it. Nobody believes it. You can see from the way that our stocks have been treated over the years. Nobody believes it. So if anything, the, there are going to be massive upside surprises from our company. So and you, I think uh, you, given you, the correction we've been through, we'll see the other side of this. You, you've, which said, is, uh, you've said, pardon me, I'm sorry, I don't mean to step on your toes. You've said no, no, a, a couple of times during this interview, if we're right, those are the words that you've used Unfortunately, the market is saying that you're wrong and you're dead yes. wrong. And how do you counter that? Right. Well, we do. We counter it. No one's doing the kind of research we're doing of that. I am sure uh, at least that seems to be given the feedback that we're getting. We don't get a lot of people, you know, uh, um, especially in the financial markets, uh, reacting to our research. Uh, but just, you know, this is exactly uh, the, the situation we faced with Tesla in 2018 and 19. Remember, Tesla was going to run out of money. Tesla was not going to be able to manufacture to scale. And it was our research on battery technology, artificial intelligence, robotics, uh, cloud, uh, and, and over-the-air software updates that got us to the right answer. One of the reasons I think we will be more right uh, than, than most, most uh, I'll say, investment teams out there is because our research is organized differently. Uh, our analyst responsibilities are broken out not by sector or industry or sub-industry, but by technology. There are 14 technologies evolving today, and our analysts are technology specialists. They have domain expertise, either straight from school or from industry, domain expertise that very few have. Uh, there are many more in the genomic mm -hmm. space now, but very few, uh, very few have out there. I've, I've... And they are generalists. They are generalists when it comes to sectors and industries. Why? Uh, because these technologies are going to fall in costs. They are, they are 
technologically enabled, which means they're enjoying learning curves, which we analyze with Wright's Law. We figure out how fast those costs are going to drop. And as they drop, the technologies will scale across more sectors. So this is a, a sensible way to set our research team up, given our sole focus on disruptive innovation. I said I'm not saying every research department should be set up the exact same way, but any part of a research department focused on uh, on innovation, uh, I think, needs to reorganize in this way. Yeah, I said at the, at the very top, you know, the criticism is rife right now. Um, your stock picking prowess, as I said, your research, which you are defending multiple times here. I'm wondering what you make of the criticism, whether you think it's gotten too personal. The fact that there is literally now an ETF betting against you. What do you make of that? Well, I find that very interesting, especially the, the last. Uh, when you think about it, it's uh, simply uh, a call. Well, it's a, they're, they're shorting innovation. And that seems to me over time, that's not going to be a business. If you ask, if you ask me, consider the source. But they're also not doing any research. They're simply shorting innovation. If, if they were doing research and could point us to reasons why what, you know, what we have um, included in our portfolio is not going to participate in the, in the new world order, uh, then we might have a conversation about it. But the idea of shorting innovation uh, is in America is ridiculous, I think. So, uh, I, but here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. When I see, and this is investor psychology, when I see people so sure that we are wrong, and, and that they are willing to set up companies simply to short innovation uh, and, and to set up funds to short innovation, uh, you know that investor psychology, the pendulum, has swung so far in one direction in, that if we're right, if we're right, if we're right, then the rewards are going to be enormous. I don't know how else to say it. They're, they're not shorting innovation. They're shorting you. Well, we stand for innovation. You know, if it, it's an interesting, uh, um, another interesting idea that, that surfaces as you say that. Uh, I, again, was in the bubble, uh, uh, but I was in, in the markets in the 80s and 90s. And where did investors go to access exposure to innovation? They went to the NASDAQ. Um, and, you know, I'm looking, and I, we're benchmark agnostic. Our, our goal is to deliver a minimum of 15% compound annual rate of return over a five-year period. So we're benchmark agnostic. And until recently, I just didn't know how the, uh, how the NASDAQ had evolved. So if I look at the NASDAQ 100, what, what, what do I see? I'm shocked to see in there, um, if you look at the overlap with our portfolios, and, and not just the flagship, I'm talking about all of our portfolios, the specialized ones, only 25% uh, in the NASDAQ 100. The top 50% are the FANGs, uh, Tesla, NVIDIA, Microsoft, roughly. That's very rough. And that's why you see so many... Uh, top 10 portfolios, top 10 stocks in, in portfolios out there to, to be those. And then if you look at, at further, you see, you see food stocks, 
Like, this is not the NASDAQ I grew up with. You see, like, like Kraft Heinz or Pepsi. You see Old Dominion and trucking. You see a CSX and rail. You see Dollar Tree and other dollar stores. You see a lot of bricks and mortar retail. Um, and now it's that ilk of stock is roughly 10%. So what's left is uh, what we would call either uh, companies going to be disrupted by innovation or they're involved in sustained innovation. So this is not the true innovation index anymore. I really believe we have become that. And, uh, you know, I, and I believe that our research is the best in the business is pointing the way to the future. Uh, these technology cost curves, as prices fall, the uptake of these new technologies that make our lives better, cure disease, uh, is inexorable. Kathy, I, I mentioned I, I have the investment committee uh, that I have every day with me again today, and I know they'd like to get in on this conversation. There are many individual stocks I'd like to talk to you about as well. Let's take a quick break. Please stand by. We'll come right back after this break. More with Kathy Wood. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, we're back with Kathy Wood. The Investment Committee is joining me in just a moment. Kathy, before I bring in a question, let me ask you about Roblox, which you continue to double, if not triple down on. We mentioned yesterday you bought millions of dollars worth of additional shares of Roblox. Why? Uh, we think it's one of the best ways to play the global metaverse out there. Uh, we saw the stock hit very hard by, again, some short-term numbers. We were impressed by the daily average user growth at 33%. And uh, what, we were, what we've been wondering is, uh, would it be able to uh, migrate to the north of 13-year-old uh, category? And uh, for the first time, more than half of their users uh, were above 13 years old. And they introduced a new statistic that we found fascinating, that I think the 17 to 24-year-old category now accounts for 20% of its user base. Uh, so that's big, and that's very important. There were a few, few things that people did not like uh, in the, the report. There is an adjustment uh, uh, in terms of uh, user behavior. Weekdays, uh, less usage. Uh, weekends, uh, explosive usage. Uh, of course, back to school, in person. Uh, I'm sure it has something to do with that. And then um, bookings per DAU uh, were down. And I think that has to do with their success in penetrating international markets. So they haven't really monetized, you know, their, 
there's mm -hmm. a ramp into monetization. So, uh, and it's a vertically integrated platform. We look for vertically integrated platforms where it's really, this is user generated data. And uh, we're also looking for global opportunities. You know, when we think of, uh, you know, uh, uh, markets opening up globally automatically these days and blockchain technology is a big part of that. Um, I, I think uh, we learn that the scaling opportunities can take place much faster than they have historically. Kathy, let me bring in Bryn Talkington. She owns Zoom. She owns Coinbase. She owns Roblox. And she owns the ARK funds. Bryn? Yes. Hi, Bryn. Hey, Kathy. Hey. And so, you know, I, I wanted to start. The, uh, the, head of the, U US patent, the head of the U.S. Patent Office said that Everything that has been that can be invented has been invented. That was Charles Duell in 1899. I think investors are really myopic, <laughs> yes. thinking that thinking that innovation is over. And, and I did think what you said about you know transformational technology and how it's going to scale. I think ultimately that will decide the winners and losers. And and I always think it's really interesting. You know, in ARKK, which we've been an investor now for a couple of years. It's very concentrated, you know, portfolio with the top 10 making up about close to 50 percent of the portfolio. I think what you don't own can be just as important as what you do own. And, you know, I've never seen Moderna, which when I think of like DNA sequencing and just like everyone globally knows that stock in the portfolio. I'm curious why that company didn't pass the metrics. And if you guys are looking at it, you know, right now, since it's sold off so much. Uh, we are looking at it, and what, uh, and we have been uh, as well. Uh, I would say our miscalculation uh, last or in 2020 was that uh, we were looking at two stocks in the same category. Um, one was Moderna, and the other was Arcturus. We had owned Arcturus, and we were learning about MR mRNA uh, technology um, from Joe Payne and the team there. Uh, uh, but Moderna, uh, it got out of the, the, the box uh, much more quickly uh, with its mRNA uh, vaccine. And uh, by the time we were really intensively looking at it, the valuation had gone. And I know many people think we are not valuation sensitive, but the valuation had gone way ahead of where we thought it should have gone. Now, of course, this is coming in. We're taking a close look. It is a platform company. In the mRNA uh, space, we think that's a very interesting space. But, you know, when I ask our uh, analysts to, you know, uh, to battle test their models, uh, compared to the names in our portfolio right now, it does not, uh, I mean, and the, and the growth rates, the, the rates of return that we expect from our, our names, it still is much lower in terms of uh, expected total rate of return. It is above 15%, which is our minimum hurdle rate of return. But, uh, you know, when we've got uh, uh, compound annual rate of return expectations in the 45 to 50% range for other names, um, it's, it would be very hard for us to move at this point. Kathy, I have a viewer question on Roku. A viewer wants to know what you think of Roku in the here and now. Yes, I know there's a lot of angst uh, about their potentially getting into uh, uh, the TV business, the hardware business. They, of course, would not manufacture. They would outsource. Uh, they're facing a lot of supply chain issues on the TV front. And so I think they're trying to 
uh, take it into their own hands. But this is a great case of, okay, this is short term. We have a five-year investment time horizon. Uh, Roku uh, is number one in the connected TV space. And I think what's going on with uh, both Apple and Google and how they are sort of changing the rules of the game on, on their advertisers um, for, for different reasons, Algor uh, algorithms in the case of Google and IDFA privacy uh, in the case of Apple, uh, that uh, Roku's is going to become an advertiser of choice, especially because it is becoming the operating system of uh, the television. So we think it's a very big idea. And, and I know there's a lot of bringing hands over supply chain and, and, and so forth. But uh, the migration uh, of advertising uh, to digital is accelerating, has accelerated. And now we see what's happened to Facebook. Some of those advertising dollars are, are going to come over to Roku. Uh, and uh, again, other companies like Pinterest, I know, has has complained about Google changing its algorithms a few times. Mm -hmm. So it's not as reliable. So I, I think there's a big share shift in digital towards uh, Roku's connected TV okay. platform. Josh Brown has a question. Josh. Hey, Kathy, good to see you. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, I agree with you about the pendulum having swung very far. I don't know if it's all the way yet. It's hard to uh, without the benefit of hindsight. But every time I want to pull the trigger and buy your flagship fund, ARKK, two things stop me. And maybe you, can, maybe you can talk me and other people who are watching out of these two problems that I have. The first is not in your control, and that is the inflationary environment and what's going on with rates. If this is your strategy and you're going to stick to it, unfortunately – you're up against a headwind that is not of your making, and really there's not much that you can do about until it abates, which is that historically, go back through the last 100 years, break it down in decades, decades with high inflation were very bad for growth stocks relative to value stocks. Just look at the two decades with the highest inflation, the 1940s coming out of the war and the 1970s. In those two periods, using Fama French indexes, Value outperformed growth on an average annualized basis by more than 10%. That is an insurmountable hurdle to anybody concentrating in growth stocks if, in fact, high inflation is going to persist. Again, that's not your problem, but I'd love to hear your take on that. The second thing is a little bit more idiosyncratic to ARC and the way that you guys um, do portfolio construction, which is that there tend to be a lot of glamour stocks – in your index and in, and in your products that maybe aren't that innovative. Um, and a couple of examples that come to mind, I was kicking the tires on your genomics fund. I can't get past the fact that Teladoc is the largest holding. In what way, shape, or form is Teladoc at all involved in genomics? DraftKings, Robinhood, these are not really innovative companies. One is a bookie and one is a fairly traditional broker that made its way by breaking a lot of brokerage rules. I don't see innovation there when I see those names, and that's why I'm not an investor as badly as I want to be. Can you talk me out of those concerns that I have? Because I think they're shared by a lot of the people watching today. Sure. Um, absolutely. And Josh, uh, I, uh, I heard that you had some kind words to say about, uh, about us as a firm or uh, generally. So I thank you for those um, a few weeks I ago. I think very highly of you. Uh, 
Thank you. Thank you, Josh. So uh, on the first uh, inflation, okay, my background is economics, uh, both economics and finance, and um, I do have a point of view here. Um, the the supply chain issues have lasted so much longer than we, we anticipated uh, that they would uh, take a while to work out, but not two years. So the question is, is this supply chain related and uh, will, will these inflation metrics unwind? Uh, I think a lot of what's going on is uh, supply chain related. I know it's uh, become unfashionable to use the word transitory, and, and so we won't because it's lasted longer than we expected. However, I do think there's going to there, that the deflationary forces that are building up in the economy today are are pretty strong. Uh, two are secular; one is cyclical, um, and 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 the bond market is sort of getting this. If you look at what's happened to the yield curve, so the difference between long rates and short rates, um, it has flattened uh, from, I think, 155 basis points last March to 45 basis points today. And if the Fed did go 50 basis points in, in March, which they might, they might, uh, I think that it would be one and done then, uh, we'll end up with an inverted yield curve. And then what are people going to think? Well, an inverted yield curve and the flattening yield curve says, watch out. Something's going on here. Either growth is going to disappoint or inflation is going to be much lower than expected or both. Uh, and, and we think both is right. Uh, and, and so that's the cyclical source. Uh, there, there's an inventory buildup. If you look at the record-breaking inventory buildup in the fourth quarter GDP report, uh, you'll, you'll get a sense while inventory to sales ratios might be low uh, as the consumer switches off here. And if you look at the last three months of either retail sales or consumption, the consumer has gone pretty flat. Meanwhile, you've got the double ordering and triple ordering by manufacturers and wholesalers because they were missing sales before. So I think there's a big inventory problem brewing here. Uh, and it's going gonna, it, it's going to hit within the next uh, six months in, in terms of that recognition. That's the cyclical side of inflation. The secular side has to do with innovation. Uh, if I could, so our focus is understanding cost declines associated with technology and when costs are going to drop low enough so that demand in different sectors will pick up. Uh, just give you a few examples. So, for every cumulative doubling in the number of whole human genome sequenced uh, in the world today, costs drop, uh, the cost of sequencing drops 40% if, if you're Illumina, 28% if you're a PacBot bio on the long read side. Uh, uh, robotics, for every cumulative doubling in industrial robots, cost decline 50%. We have major labor shortages. Uh, so that cost decline uh, will cause increased adoption and will lower uh, the, the risk associated with wage inflation uh, continuing. Um, and then uh, artificial intelligence costs, I, I gave that one, down 60% per year if you include both hardware and, and software. These are major, major deflationary undercurrents. The other side of disruptive innovation is creative destruction. Uh, and what does that mean? It means the existing world order, the traditional world order, is going to face uh, uh, dis disintermediation and, and per perhaps destruction. 
And we certainly see this in everything, transportation, uh, in, in retail, there's still a lot of creative destruction taking place right. uh, in the healthcare space, right? Uh, so what's going to happen is these companies whose products are either going obsolete or who have not invested enough to update them, uh, they are going to have to cut prices. So we see major deflationary forces, and I think the bond market is on to this. If, if, if I didn't see some signal uh, supporting what we're saying in the marketplace, like that yield curve, I'd probably say, gosh, I don't know how long this is going to last. But uh, I have a feeling these deflationary forces have entered the bond market cycle. Kathy, I, uh, I, 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 forgive me for interrupting you, but I, I, I want to move it along if I could. And as, as we're having this conversation really from the beginning of the, of the program, I, I can't get beyond the fact that as I hear you defend your strategy, defend your research, and say that these stocks are going to come back, and I look at our viewer questions, I think about them and the fact that this is real people's money that we're, yes. we're talking about here. I had a yes. question on Pacific Biosciences. It's down 75% from its 52-week high, presumably held by the person who is putting this question forth to you. I mean, what do you say to somebody who put their hard-earned dollars into your fund and is sitting in a stock like Pacific Biosciences, which is in the ARKG, and it's down 75%. Well, uh, the first thing I uh, would want to say is <clears throat> more than half of my personal net worth uh, is personal financial net worth is in our funds. Uh, so, uh, and, and I have been averaging down. That's the first thing I would say. And I understand this is, these are hard-earned dollars. They've been my life's work. Uh, and uh, I, I never sold our funds, never, never, because I do believe in what we're doing. When it comes to PacBio specifically, uh, talk about uh, unbelievable um, accomplishments. Uh, last night or the night before, on, uh, the, on the earning call, Christian, Christian Henry, uh, PacBio CEO, uh, told us that, you know, uh, short read technology is able to identify about 20, and this is DNA sequencing, short read is the Illumina version, PacBio is long read. So short read uh, technology is able to diagnose, identify 25% uh, of the rare diseases that children get. And parents with children uh, who have rare diseases spend on average five years, this has historically been the case, trying to find out what is this? Uh, well, short read technology can identify 25% of them. Uh, a, a recent study using the same uh, analysis going over the same individuals who were sequenced with short read, but this time with long read, they were able to identify 75% uh, of the diseases uh, right away. So, you know, we are talking about bringing real science into healthcare decision making and helping uh, parents with children. Uh, figure out what's wrong with their children and what possibly to do about it. This is nothing short of miraculous compared to uh, the state of the healthcare industry uh, even five years ago uh, because we didn't have the technology. We couldn't identify the mutations. With DNA sequencing now, 
Now that it is dropping in cost to $500, $500 to $1,000 if you're in the long-range territory, uh, now we can do it. We can do it. So the, the most prestigious children's hospitals, just go talk to them about how transformational this is going to be. And it's going to be transformational for all of us. This is not about just children with rare diseases. We are all going to be sequenced. We were going to have genetic tests uh, annually, is my guess, so that we can identify the mutations that evolve in our body from year to year. And as we age, more and more mutations do uh, occur. And we are going to be able to prevent a lot of disease or cut it off at the pass, uh, perhaps with uh, deep, uh, uh, gene editing, CRISPR gene editing. So uh, this is the most underappreciated and undervalued part of innovation, I believe. Tim. And it is because healthcare and technology are converging. Healthcare analysts are not comfortable with technology. Technology analysts are not comfortable with healthcare. ARC, because Simon Barnett, is our sequencing analyst and Ali is our CRISPR gene, Ali, Ali Ehrman is our CRISPR gene editing uh, analyst and Pierce Jameson is our plant uh, uh, biology analyst. We, uh, we are looking for these uh, technologies and how they might scale as they cut across. Are you look, I mean, I got a couple questions that I know you have to go. Are you, are you looking to replace any of your analysts based on the performance of the stocks in the last six months? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, again, we have a five-year investment time horizon. Okay. The last five years, we have outperformed our minimum hurdle rate of return. We're somewhere in, in the 20s. Uh, truth wins out in the end. What's going on right now is, a, I believe, a, 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 a hysterical reaction to inflation, interest rates, um, not because those aren't problems. They are problems right now. I'm not trying to minimize that. We think they are going to, to uh, unwind during the next year or so. Um, but uh, we, are, uh, we believe that these companies in our portfolio are going to deliver what today would be called supernatural growth rates because that's how profound these technologies are. Okay, and let me... We've never been... We've never, we've never seen a period of like this in history. You have to go back to the early 1900s to see anything like it. Telephone, electricity, automobile. Today, we, are, we have five transformational platforms involving 14 technologies that aren't being analyzed very rigorously by the traditional world, which is focused on what has happened historically. I want to I finish by asking you about a recent move that you made. Um, you sold a bunch of Twitter last week ahead of the earnings after a few weeks prior to that, giving it yet another vote of confidence. Why? Did, were you wrong on Twitter? Yeah. No, um, that's not the reason we sold it. So as I mentioned, uh, as we go into downdrafts, um, we will concentrate our holdings towards our highest conviction names. We cannot call, or for the flagship, I can't call Twitter a high, highest conviction. Uh, we, we added to it several weeks back when we saw that it might have a place in the NFT ecosystem as a verification platform. Um, our confidence was nicked a bit as we saw some of the censorship um, uh, issues and controversies uh, arising again. 
there also has been a change in management, always with a change in management. And I realize that the new CEO has been uh, there at the helm uh, or been there for a while, chief technology officer. Uh, but Jack Dorsey is not there. So that's a transition. Whenever there is a transition in leadership like that, okay. the confidence goes down a little bit. So, no, we haven't we're, we're not. That is not a statement black and white we think that this is a bad idea Mm -hmm. we think it's going to be a good idea because it will attract more advertising given what i mentioned about uh google and facebook kathy you've been gracious with your time you've answered all of our questions i appreciate you coming back on thank you scott thank you very much for inviting me all right that's ark and thanks to the team thanks to your investment committee too you bet we'll see you again soon that's kathy wood joining us today we're back right after this break Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, Dr. J, I'd love to hear your comments about what Kathy Wood had to say. I'd like to get unusual from you, too, but give me your point of view. Okay, I'll, okay, Scott, uh, she helped me make a lot of money, a lot of investors, a lot of money in Tesla. I would have loved to have heard uh, whether she thought it was autonomy or manufacturing or battery tech that's going to be the next big thing for Tesla and or what her next pick would be for a three-year time frame. I view her fund, Scott, much like um, you know the double and triple levered uh, ETFs. They're not things you own for a long time. What you do is Uh, with those double and triple ETFs, you put them on for a move that you anticipate. With Kathy, I think that is the opposite. You have to put that on her ARC funds and so forth with the anticipation of having it in your portfolio for years, not as a trading vehicle. Um, So they're polar opposites, those two. As far as unusual, Scott, I'd say uh, uh, KSS. Um, We're seeing Kohl's unusual activity yet again. Perhaps they get a sweetened deal. We don't know. Uh, 7,500 of the April 6250 calls. They were right last time in Kohl's. We're following that one. Second one, gold. Second day in a row. This is the Yamana gold. Um, uh, this is a, a, a miner. Uh, and they're buying the 13,000 of the March 24 calls with the stock at 2250, Scott. So those are the two for today. Jim, um, look, I mean, you've invested in a Roku uh, before. I think you have Twilio now. Um, how do you feel about what you heard from Kathy Wood? 
Yeah, well, well, Scott, I think you know that I'm the type of investor that she really eschews. Um, I do focus on earnings and positive cash flows. And the reason that I do that is because companies need positive earnings and positive cash flows to reinvest in transformative business. My concern about Kathy is not whether she's smart, not whether she's seeing trends. My concern is as a portfolio manager, she's concentrated her risk in money losing companies. And if the capital markets close in a downturn, which happens, she could find herself taking temporary losses and making them permanent losses in a different way than she alluded to at the beginning of her speech. Yeah, Brenda? Yeah, I mean, I applaud Kathy for sticking to her strategy and sticking to what she does. It makes my life easier as an asset allocator because I can decide when I want to invest in something like like her fund or when I don't feel it's appropriate. But I do feel like it's going to be a, a slog in this environment uh, with valuation. But if she continues doing what she's doing, there will be a right time to get back in. So it's just on the asset allocators to decide when that time is going to be. Josh, be quick for me. But I just come back to the irony of her talking about the valuation of something like Moderna, for example, um, but not being sensitive in any way, shape or form to the valuations of any of these other stocks, certainly at, at their highs for what they were all trading for. Yeah, I, I don't really I don't fully understand it myself. Well, we'll leave it there, I suppose. What's your final trade while I have you? Uh, I'm in this Roblox debacle also, so we'll use that as final trade, and let's just hope she's right. And you, I mean, you did buy more on a, on a, on a prior dip, so you continue to bet that she is. Yeah, it wasn't the last dip, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, Dr. J, quick, what do you got? Western Digital, Scott, big upside call buying. I bought calls in there. Brenda? Um, Amazon. Yes, labor is an issue, but this is a company with incredible pricing power and likely not to spend as much on infrastructure as they did the last couple of years. Pharma, Jim. Yeah, Paramount, nay, Viacom, CBS. Get your shares before the President's Day sale ends. <laughs> okay. Uh, and finally, Bryn. <laughs> um, I own Coinbase, and so I want to protect a little bit of it. Earnings are coming up. So I'm going to sell the, two, the June 245 calls, and you can bring in about 1390 um, right now, and it's at 195. Okay. So right. a little bit of a hedge if earnings are bad. Guys, thanks so much. Thanks for watching as well. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.